This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. What's up, everybody? My name is Shane. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Lead Singer Syndrome, a show where I talk to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a professional rock and roll band. Today, we have a great episode. So happy to have you. I speak with Derek from Sum 41. What a guy. Uh, I got to put this out there right away. I've been a huge Sum 41 fan since I was in high school, and I'm 36 years old. So I've known about Sum 41 since the beginning, since maybe even before the beginning, when they were a local band straight out of Ajax, Ontario. I remember seeing them for the first time. We talk about that in the podcast. And I remember seeing them shoot up to stardom and just being legitimately proud and legitimately stoked that that band was able to do it coming from you know, the suburbs of Toronto, just like I did. In some ways, that was very inspirational, and it made me feel like if they could do it, I could do it. We talk about so much stuff. We have a lot of fun in this podcast, so stick around. It's a great show. Before we get into that, thank you so much for listening to this. Thank you for being subscribed. If you're a member of the All Access Club, thank you so much for that as well. Supporting this thing, helping us keep the lights on is amazing. I always want to hear feedback, so when you're done listening to this, If you like the episode, if you didn't like the episode, if you have ideas for future episodes, whatever it is, feel free to get in touch with me. You can email me very easily at leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. We're also on all the social networks. We're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that. So look that up. And if you're not so happy, we do have the hate line. Feel free to call, leave a message of hate or love, but I prefer the hate. I really like the hate messages. That number is 657 666 H-A-T-E, 657-666-HATE. Give me a call, leave me a message, and eventually I will roll out some hate line clips. In other news with me, I'm just about to leave for the airport. I'm heading out to Vancouver with my band Silverstein. We are going across the country of Canada with Good Charlotte, which will be very different kind of tour for us. Uh, obviously, that's a band I never thought we would tour with when they were, you know, exploding on the radio, whatever it was, 10 or 15 years ago. So that's going to be really, really fun. If you're living anywhere in Canada, check it out. We're actually playing some places we don't usually go. Uh, Vancouver being one of them. Also, the east coast of Canada, we're playing in Halifax and Moncton, which is very, very rare. And I think we're dipping down actually to Portland, Maine, too. So if you're in the New England area, uh, check it out. We're doing a headline show down there as well. And after that, in May... I'm doing a tour, a solo tour with my project River Oaks. Basically, I play a bunch of the River Oaks songs, well, all of them that exist. I also do a bunch of Silverstein acoustic covers, which is a lot of fun. Covers? Is it it still covers if I'm playing my own songs, but they're by my band Silverstein under my name? I don't know if they're covers or not. Anyways, I play a shitload of Silverstein songs acoustic, so come on out. I'm playing in Chicago, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Anaheim, and San Diego 
Tickets are on sale now. Go to riveroaksmusic.com to check all that out. Another thing I did last week, which I'm also doing this week, is promoting some of the great podcasts that are on the Jabberjohn Network. There's so many great podcasts. Everyone works so hard on them. And I'm a regular listener myself. So this week I want to talk about a podcast called Poor Taste, which is P-O-U-R Taste. You see what they did there. And Poor Taste is the go-to source for all things cocktail. Through years of consultation work with hotels, restaurants, and bars, John and Lindsay Yeager are now bringing their cocktail and spirit prowess to the Poor Taste podcast. Each week, John discusses spirit and cocktail history while guiding guests through recipes. The podcast also features award-winning authors, spirit and porters, and tastemakers to discuss trends and other tidbits from today's cocktail community. So if you drink a lot like me, this is great. If you're going to have people over, you want some tips on how to wow them with, you know, some cool cocktails, check it out. The Poor Taste Podcast, which is P-O-U-R Taste. Give it a search. All right, that's all for the intro. Very stoked to bring you now episode 74 and my conversation with Derek Wibley of Sum 41. Hey, Derek. Hello? Hey. Hey, man. How's it going? Pretty good. How you doing? Dude, I'm, I'm really good, man. Good morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been up for a little bit, so it's starting to feel a little bit like early afternoon now. Are you in the East Coast, West Coast? Where are you? I'm in Los Angeles right now. Oh, my God. It's so early, dude. It's 8.30 in the morning. This is crazy. I know. I've been kind of, I don't know, I get around like anywhere from like 3 to 6 in the morning right now. Sorry, from three to six. What's up with that? That's that's not normal rock star hours. I don't know. I mean, I still, the funny thing is, like, I'm not really going to bed early. I just only sleep for like I'll fall asleep for like a couple hours and I just kind of wake up again. And I get you know what it is? It's because I I'm hard, I've hardly been home. So I just got home like a couple weeks ago, and I feel like it's like I'm so excited to be home. It's like Christmas. I just can't sleep. So yeah. I wake up at three in the you morning. Live even though all I went those to bed. hours of every day. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I want to be home so bad that I just like wake up and start doing shit around the house. <laughs> that's good, man. No, that's good. I mean, obviously, like it's been pretty well documented some of your struggles, and I mean, first of all, just congratulations, man, on on your comeback. You know, both both personally and you know, uh, career wise, it's it's really really awesome to see. Um, I don't know if you know anything about me or or what this is. If they told you, I'm my name is Shane. I played in the band Silverstein. We've done some shows together, yeah, yeah, in the past. And um, you know, it's kind of crazy. Like, I've been a huge fan of your band for since I was like a kid. You know, growing up in Oakville. Oh, cool! Um, Thanks. So it's actually kind of crazy to be to be talking to you because I've always wanted to pick your brain uh, about so many you know just things over the years. And uh, oh, yeah. so I've, I've been following your career, and it, and it really just is really good to see you doing so well again. And I mean, your last tour was killing it. Last Thank record's you. awesome. So, so how is that feeling now, man? You're like, you say it's like Christmas. Is like every day like Christmas? Just now being, <laughs> just being back on top. I mean, it kind of is. I mean, I'm sort of like on the happier side of of life, I guess. Um, yeah. And you know, throughout my whole life, I've always just sort of been kind of on the you know a positive guy and enjoyed my day. Um, it's just now I don't drink. Um, and that's really the only difference. I'm still a happy guy, I guess. I don't know. And uh, <laughs> everything just is always kind of cool. <laughs> that's great. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to call bullshit on you, but I mean, there were definitely some dark times in the past few years. I mean, there's, oh, there's no question, right? Yeah, but to me, I mean, that that's just part of life, I guess. You know, everyone okay, has different yeah. tough things that they go through in their lives. But if to me, if I was going to complain about things that are hard in my life, I'd just be complaining that my life isn't perfect all the time. Right. You know, so I just look at it like, yeah, there's difficult things, um, but no matter who you are, you're going to get hard things thrown at you or things that you bring on yourself or whatever it is you go through. Um, you can't escape going through hard times in life. Absolutely. No, you're, you're completely right. And so you're completely sober. Um, I mean, being in a guy that, you know, I've read some interviews where you talk about you basically were 
not didn't have a lot of sober days for you know like 15 years mm-hmm. um was that hard to perform like that when you're used to like at least having a couple drinks before you go on stage was that a hard transition no not at all um i mean the thing is like there's always a fine line before going on stage like it there's, there wasn't a whole lot of times that I was too drunk to be on stage. It was always a few drinks right. before before the show. A, t- a few times there was, you know, by accident you go a little too far. But I mean, that's like maybe you know a handful out of a thousand shows that I would I'm pretty embarrassed about. But it's usually after the shows is when it got kind of crazy. Um, and it just there was never a day off. That was the probably the it was the consistency that was the biggest problem of it. Um, you know, it wasn't just like complete annihilation, wasted, drunk every single day, but it was just drinking every single day. There's no days off. Yeah, I can relate to this, man. I mean, it, it, that happens, you know, in, in our line of work when there's pretty much no one telling you not to. You don't really have mm-hmm. to get up in the morning for anything. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? My biggest downfall, my downfall with the drinking was taking a break from work um, because the work had I had some responsibility, even though I could drink, like I said, you could only have a couple before the show, and you're always having, to, I had to somewhat, you know, take care of my voice, I couldn't just stay up all night, I mean, right. you know, things like that would sort of play a part in keeping me a little bit more in line, which was still probably not in line at all, but at least a, a, enough, whereas when I got home and took a break for the first time in our whole career, that's when I just had no responsibility, nothing to wake up for, nothing to worry about, no songs to write, nowhere to be. Right. That's when everything. That's when it got to a point where it started getting really damaging, you know. And then combined with all the years previous, it just added up to me ending up in the hospital. Yeah, damn. No, it's crazy. It's funny that you know this is the lead singer syndrome podcast. So it's funny when I think about back in the days, the early days, you know, when we tour in a van, and I'd be so worried about my voice. You know, I'd be like, "Oh, can I sing tomorrow?" And I'd be like testing out if I can hit that like high A mm-hmm. note or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um. And meanwhile, like all the other guys are like drinking whiskey in the back of the van and shit like that. And I'm always thinking to myself, like, man, if I could just like be a bass player and not have to worry about singing, I would be a train wreck. Oh my god! I yeah, I used to say that to myself all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know it's funny. And and um, I've seen you guys play many times, and I've only ever seen you kill it. Uh, but yeah, I mean. There's always when they have those shows where it's like, oh man, either I was like not my best or I was terrible, and you just <laughs> never know how to play it off, and then you feel like, you know, next time you're through that city or whatever, you're like, oh man. It really can be embarrassing and kind of like emotionally scarring, especially oh, when totally. you do it yourself, you know? Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's, there's a handful of moments I have that are just like, you know, the, the few bad ones that I can remember are, are sort of you know, pretty embarrassing. And unfortunately, they live on YouTube and stuff like that, too. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course they do. Well, man, it's so good to have you on the show. Um, it's, it's crazy. You know, I was just thinking about the, the early days of Sum 41, which I don't know how much you like talking about it. Uh, some people love talking about the old days. Some people don't. But for me, it hits close really to care. home. <laughs> I, I remember I first heard about you guys. I must have been in, like... I mean, I w- I'm only a year younger than you, so oh, yeah. I was probably like, I was probably like 16 or 17 years old, maybe. And I think I came upon a friend that had a Sum 41 demo tape. Okay. And you guys were playing at the Elma Combo, opening up for Gob. Yeah, I remember uh, that show very well. Yeah, and it was it's the first time I saw you guys. It's funny now that with Tom from Gob being in your band is is kind of rad too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I remember seeing you guys, and it was like. It blew me away in so many ways, and the, the coolest thing was I'd gotten into punk rock, and like, you know, I knew No Effects, and I knew all the Fat Records bands and everything, but I also loved like Metallica and Slayer, mm-hmm. and all those bands because that's kind of how I got into playing guitar and everything. And the yeah, ability, it's very similar, for, that's the same as that, right? I know, and we're the same age, so it's really funny, and I'm sure we have the same yeah. influences and everything. But the way you guys were able to marry those genres. And like, you know, do you know, even the stage moves and stuff like all that stuff to me was so rad. And I'd never seen anyone do that before. Where did that no, whole cool. thing come from? Like, where did that stem from? The whole like mixing metal, you know, almost like hair metal, like cheese with like yeah. the sort of, you know, humor of punk rock at the time. I think, I mean, it really comes from 
um, just not really caring about anything. You know, there was, it just felt like at the time in our sort of local scene, everyone was trying to be really punk and we were just the complete opposite of that in a way where we liked punk rock music, but we also liked metal music and we liked, you know, hip hop music and we liked all these things. And we just thought, well, if we're going to stand out from these local bands that think they're like, you know, super punk and Mr. Cool all the time, we could just (laughs) do this because we didn't see anybody doing guitar solos or anything, incorporating anything else. And we just thought, well, that'll be sort of our thing. And then we also thought, well, what if we did some like stupid stuff on stage with like choreographed, like metal moves or choreographed dancing um, that was like sort of making fun of it all. But it was like, it was embracing it, but making fun of it at the same time. Like we love Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, but there's some comedy there. Right. It was so, it was so cool. And I remember seeing it, it was like such, so eye opening, you know? And like, it's funny how, you know, you're, uh, you know, we talk about the scene and, you know, guys, you guys are out in the East suburbs and I grew up in the West suburbs. It's like, it was like, it was like Los Angeles and New York. Like it was, it might as well have been that far. There was not a lot of mixing you know, between, and then we'd, we'd kind of end up in, in Toronto, but it was so funny how I, like, just saw your band and was like, oh my god, this is like, this is like everything I've wanted, you know, in a band, <laughs> and um, the other thing, too, is like, you guys were able to really get out of Canada, which, you know, for anyone listening that's like, you know, knows about the Canadian music industry, especially at that time, you guys must have got signed, like, directly to a U.S. label, uh, because yeah. you weren't stuck in Canada, you had worldwide stuff going on. Uh, how did that come about? Like, how, how did you, you know, get discovered or whatever from, from those days? Well, that's kind of a funny story, or at least I find it funny. But um, is that, you know, because people have asked us a bunch of times, like, you know, you guys must have got big in Canada first. Or you just, and yeah, no, no way. The reality was is that Canada, Canada didn't want us. We tried in Canada. We tried to get signed to major labels. We tried to go through the whole Canadian music industry and they all said no. And, you know, labels came out to see us and I remember Warner brothers in Canada said we were the worst band they'd ever seen and all this stuff. So <laughs> we completely got ignored by the Canadian music industry and just went straight to the States right after that. But we did try yeah. to go to Canada first and then we got signed to universal and we were supposed to come out on Warner brothers in Canada. And we said, no, we're not going to, we're taking Warner brothers out of, uh, or not Warner Brothers, sorry, Universal in Canada. And um, we said uh, we don't want any major labels in Canada because they all turned us down. So we ended up right. signing with um, Aquarius in Canada, which was an indie label. And um, and so all the success sort of came through uh, having success in America first. Um, just because yeah. that's just the way it worked out. You know, we didn't try it that, to do it that way, but that's how it happened. You're lucky you got turned down by all those major labels. Do you realize that I, at this point? Well, as, as time has gone on, I mean, obviously I can't complain. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I don't yeah. know. It's just sort of the way it worked out. And I, I never looked back. I never really thought about it ever again. It's just the way it is. Yeah. No, I, I know. We're talking about shit that happened like more than 15 years ago. So in some ways it may be irrelevant, but it, I find it uh, kind of funny. Uh, anyways, dude, um, so talk about the band now. I mean, you guys, obviously it's crazy. You got Dave back in the band after 10 years. Mm-hmm. You've got like three guitar players. Uh, yeah. How is that working out? That's kind of like a kind of a cool thing. I think the fans really like that. But how did that all work with Dave coming back? Were you guys like in touch over the last decade or, or how did that work out? Well, when Dave left the band, um, we just, there was nothing, there's no bad blood. There was nothing you know, there's no animosity or whatever. It just, he just left and we kept on going. And because we're working so much, it just, we just didn't speak, you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. uh, you just kind of go. And, um, so we didn't really talk for those 10 years at all. And, uh, we started talking, I don't know when I, maybe around 2013 and, um, we just kind of became friends again, just over the phone. We just started talking and just being in touch and, our friendship grew and it got to a point where by around 2015, we were kind of like, well, why aren't we playing together anymore? You know? And that it just seemed odd that we'd become such good friends, but I'm talking about some 41, like it's not something that he's a part of, but you know, it was just weird. And, um, and it just kind of came up in casual conversation. Like, you know, if, would you want to play together again? And we both decided that, yeah, that'd be awesome. So, 
you know, we talked to everybody else, and everybody else in the band was like, yeah, it's great. This is, I mean, it's going to be a little strange having three guitar players. And, you know, we're just like, well, we'll figure it out. Let's get into a rehearsal and we'll figure it out. And sure <laughs> enough, it, was, it, it became really simple because, I mean, you know, on records, there's usually more than just one or two guitars on the records anyway when you record. Of course, so, yeah. So it kind of works out perfect because, especially for our band, it, it is a three guitar sounding record. You've got your left and right guitar, and then you've got one in the middle that comes in on choruses or big parts. And that's sort of where I come in. I don't really play through the whole song. I just come in on the, it's just how it is on the records. I, I absolutely get it, yeah. Absolutely, left and right, one up the middle. Sometimes two up the middle if you've got it like some sick like Iron Maiden harmony, you know, harmony shit. Which you guys do. You guys do three-part harmony guitars, sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then they both are such great guitar players, too, that they both can do all the solo stuff. And there's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been working out really well. And also Tom is such a great musician in general. I mean, he plays drums, he yeah. plays piano, and he can sing really well. And he, he just, you know, he covers a lot of stuff, plays a lot of the keyboards and piano stuff that's on the record. Um, so it's, it's all been really cool. We're still kind of figuring out what we like, where we can go, and where we can take things. Um, every tour, we sort of realize something else we can sort of cover or we can do on stage that we couldn't before. And even with Frank Zumo, our drummer, I mean, he's right. got um, he's got like a thing, a like a, a rolling pad thing where you can assign certain sounds. So we assign keyboard sounds to it. So he's got you know, it's got nine pads on it. We assign just notes to it, so he can actually hit it like a, a keyboard. <laughs> Oh, cool! Yeah, like the SPDSX or whatever it is. Uh, sure. Volan- yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Way too technical for me. It's a pad with but- things you can hit. That's as far as I yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm a, I'm a fucking nerd, man. <laughs> That's rad. That's rad, and it's it is crazy, man. These days, like like what you can do, but at the same time, there is something about playing real, real guitars and real instruments on stage too. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm sure. Do you guys even? You guys use in ear monitors, I'm sure, but you guys haven't gone to backing tracks or anything like that, have you? You guys are still doing it all real. Things live. I mean, I not knocking anyone who does it. It just wouldn't work for what we do um, because nothing is the same every night, and we change stuff up all the time. That we would never be able to fall into sort of playing to a grid and staying on something. Like, it just wouldn't work. So right. everything we do is live, which is why it works like having Frank being able to hit a keyboard pad if he needs to. It's, but it's all hit. It's all live, you know. Yeah, no, that's that's really really awesome because these days, like, and I, again, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but like, I'll see these bands and I'm like, man, like, there's no one playing keyboards on stage, and all I can hear is yeah. fucking keyboards, you know. And sometimes that kind of irks me. Uh, maybe oh, that's yeah, just yeah. where I came from or whatever too. Um, but but no, that's. That's good, man. You know, some people it works for. Some people, I mean, like like I said, for us it just would never work. Um, but you know, I don't know. I guess yeah, I, I yeah. mean you. Could, I don't know an example, but I could see you say there's a three piece band and there's like this one song they have a piano hook in that you're not going to pay a guy to come on tour with you all around the world to play this like three minute song. So maybe having a track would work for that sort of situation. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, sure, you know, and like, it depends how much of a dick you want to be, you know, about it, or how yeah. much you how much you hate those guys in the band. Yeah, that's that's really what the shit talking tends to come down to. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> like, was that guy an asshole to me? Okay, now I'm going to talk shit on backing tracks. Yeah, yeah, totally. Life can be so personal in in those ways. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. You know what's funny? I read I read that you're born in uh, Scarborough. Is that true? Yes, it is. I grew up in Scarborough. I was born in Scarborough too. Oh really? Yeah. What what hospital were you born at? Scarborough General. Okay, I was born at Scarborough Centenary. Oh okay. I, it's just funny, like you read shit like this, and I'm just like, what a small fucking world, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I I grew up in Scarborough till I was about ten or eleven, and then I moved out to the country with my grandparents, and then by twelve, thirteen, I moved to Ajax. Cool. And in those early days, like, how, how did you get into music, like? um like obviously you're a musical guy. Like you, you know, you're you're a great singer, guitar player. I've seen you play drums a lot. Um, all I, I do them all very very sort of poorly, but yeah. Uh yeah, sure, man, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not buying that shit. But, I no, can sort uh, of get my get way around it... some instruments, but definitely would not say I'm a, a you know like like I said like Brown Tom can play everything and play it all well. I can sort of get my fool my way around it all. Right. 
Well, but anyway. But then, but then the thing is, and, and that, that's I want to talk about that in a second, actually, because I think I have a theory as to why uh, that is the case. But um, so, yeah, how did you get into um, music, like like from the early days? Obviously, it became a big part of your life. How'd that happen? Well, I think there's a certain element of that you're just sort of born with that um, attraction to it. Um, and oh, then yeah. there's then there's another part. I mean, my family was really into music. None of them can play anything or even they're all tone deaf. Nobody can sing, hold a note <laughs> or anything. Um, but they're really into music. And so there's always music being played all the time. My house was always, even with my grandparents, so I said, you know, I lived with for a lot of my life. Um, they just yeah. played music all the time and it was just always on. And it was always pretty good music. It was the Beatles, the Stones, Rod Stewart, Cheap Trick, um, sort of the, a lot of the classic kind of stuff. And I just sort of grew up around it all and, and enjoyed it all. And when did you get a, like your first guitar or whatever? Like what, what inspired that to happen? Um, the guitar was, well, my grandmother bought me like a little, one of those little Casio keyboards when I was probably around 11 or something like that for Christmas. And I started figuring that thing out and started kind of playing some songs usually like Christmas carols or something, anything I could sort of figure out, right. figure out the melody. Sure. And my next step was I was going to get a, like a legit keyboard. That's what I was working towards. And around 12, 13, my uncle took me to see a guy who was going to lend me a keyboard. And he happened to be playing guitar when I, we came over to his house, and he was like a shredder. Oh, cool. And at that time, I was also like obsessed with Guns N' Roses. Because um, it's like 90, yeah. this is the illusions era. It's like ninety two around this time. So yep. Flash was like an idol, and he was playing some Guns N' Roses stuff, and I just thought, I want to do that. <laughs> so oh, instead of him giving me a keyboard, he gave me a guitar to borrow, and so I started figuring that out. That's that's awesome. That's funny. Yeah, that's funny that you wanted to be that even though you love Slash, you wanted to be like Dizzy Reed or something. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, I don't know. I guess just because I'd already been figuring it out, and I just thought, well, I'm going to be a piano player or something. I don't know. Right. Right, yeah. You felt like you already had, like, a, you were already a step ahead of everybody else with your little Casio keyboard. Exactly. That's funny. That's funny. I just had a memory, like, like I was obsessed with Guns N' Roses, too. And obviously, like, the November Rain video... If oh, anyone yeah. hasn't seen that, listening to it, you got to go see it. It's, like, one of the greatest videos of all time. But there's one part that I always think is so funny, you know, Slash, like, walks out of the church and he, like, rips the solo. Uh-huh. And there's one point where he picks up the Les Paul and you can see, like, the side and the input jack and there's nothing plugged into the jack. I can't even believe you're saying that because that was, uh, I knew you were going to go there because that was such a thing in my mind when I was young. Yeah. Like, it's so funny now thinking about it, like, I don't know, I just think about it in so many different ways, like, no director was like, let's just put a fucking patch cord in there for that shot. I know, but the funny thing about that is that, like, I've still had a thing with that since then. Like, in every video, I always have to make sure there's a patch cord plugged into my guitar because of that scene. I know, it's, you man. Know, it scarred me from, for, from that young age of, like, well, I'm never going to do that because that looks weird. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And, like, yeah, even with, like, now, like, I don't play guitar in any of our videos. Well, one of them, but... Uh, yeah, whenever I have like a mic cord, I always like make sure it like goes somewhere like yeah, so you can't exactly. see like, the end of it or anything like that. Yeah, just and it, it is for me. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's like slash Scardus. Hundred <laughs> percent that shot, man. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's so that's so funny. Uh, uh, I've lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, but the <laughs> early days of, of of playing playing in this stuff. So you got into Guns N' Roses and then like. What band was it that showed you punk rock? Like, when did you figure out punk rock was going to be a big part of your life? Well, there's two different parts of that, because punk rock, where I started enjoying just the music of it, was a different... Um, I was given a whole bunch of records at one point, around 13 years old, um, all this vinyl, because one of my mom's friends was getting rid of it. It was like, you know, I'm done with oh, yeah. vinyl, it's all CDs, and do you want, like, these 300 <laughs> records? So I took them all. And it was all the great records of bands that I'd sort of heard of, but I didn't really know. And it was like all the Zeppelin albums, Aerosmith and uh, Stones, and just everything, everything classic. Frank what Zappa. What a sick hookup, man. That's so sick. It was all this stuff that I'm like, I know that name. I'm going to listen. So every day after school, I would come home and listen to a new record and, and discover all these bands. And one of them was the Sex Pistols. Right. So 
I didn't know what punk was or really anything. I'd, I'd heard that name, so I just put that on, and it would just blew me away. And I was like, okay, now this is awesome. And then there was things like, I remember seeing a Much Music special on like the punk years or something like that, and I just sort of gravitated to all the music. I remember Iggy Pop was in there, and that was the first time I'd ever heard of that. And I was like, wait, I think I have an Iggy record in this collection. So I just sort of had this stuff. So that's when I got really into listening to it. And then when No Effects, I discovered No Effects and all that whole sort of Southern California punk rock scene. And they were actually doing music at the time and they were current. That made me realize I can do this right now. Yeah. And that's when we started Sum 41 right around that time. That's funny. So, yeah, yeah, it was kind of pretty quick. As soon as I discovered that, like No Effects and Pennywise, it was like, okay, now I'm going to do this. Yep, me too, man. There was some switch. I was in, I was playing in a band where we weren't really sure what we wanted to do, which is funny because it, it's almost like you guys also, like some 41 in the early days, didn't really know what you wanted to do either, so you did everything. Yeah, um, yeah. You just, you just found a way to, I don't know, be cute about it or, or whatever. You made it work. I was the same way, except we'd have like bad metal songs and then we'd have punk songs like with, you know, like double time and stuff. And then it was mm-hmm. true. Like once I was like, okay, no effects. This is like my favorite band. I'm just gonna. We're just gonna do this. And for yeah. me, that was the band that that changed it. And it's funny. You know, what's funny about about No Effects. The first time I heard about them, I saw the video for "Sticking in My Eye" on Much Music. Oh yeah. Which is funny because cool. you know No Effects was always like "fuck MTV, don't play us." And yeah, yeah, totally. So it was really funny that I found out about them on basically the Canadian MTV. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny. You know, it's, and, and I, I want to go back to something you mentioned because I think it's interesting and it's something I don't think I've talked about on the show much. Um, you brought up how you can kind of play everything and you, ha- you feel like you have a bit of a natural mind for music and stuff, but you aren't like a real like shredder like Dave is mm-hmm. or, you know, you aren't, you aren't like, like Steve O drummer wise or whatever, like, or Frank. Um, and I have a theory about why. A lot of guys like us um, are okay, but not great, technically. Mm-hmm. And I really think what happens is you get to a certain age where you've you've learned a few Metallica riffs and maybe a couple solos, but not the really hard ones. Yeah. And then you just start to write your own songs. Yeah, exactly. And once you get obsessed with once you get obsessed with writing your own songs, then that just changes you. And in a way, for the worst as a musician, technically. But in a way, a way better musician as well. Yeah, no, I would fully agree with that. It, I, I was going to say, like, yeah, I, I I would practice to a point in the early days trying to get as good as Slash or wanted to be one of those kind of guys. And then as songwriting yeah. became the thing, it's, well, there was no time for practicing anymore. It was all about just writing songs all the time. You know, and also I would say Nirvana helped with that too because, you know, once once Nirvana kind of took over for me from where Guns N' Roses was, all of a sudden, you know, it was the polar opposite. It was the simplest guitar playing. And everything was... So, and, I, and you realize, wow, it can actually be really simple. You don't need to be Slash, you know? Right. No, absolutely. But that was also around the time, again, it was just songwriting really takes over for people, I think. Like, you're right. Absolutely, no. I mean, there's, there's no question, man. Some of those Nirvana songs, some of those chord progressions, I still, like listen back to that record that came out however many years ago now yeah 25 years ago and i'm just like how, how the fuck did you write that chord progression yeah it's so insane it's wild man yeah there's some great stuff there yeah there really was have you have you seen any of the new guns and roses shows yet i have not no oh, I, okay. I wanted to see the um i think they did I, no they played at the uh Skydome, right? With um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy Talent open, which is crazy. And yeah. no, I was on tour and I missed that one. And then there was another one I was supposed to see in some U.S. city, and I, I don't know the time, I couldn't go. So I haven't seen it. How how is the new stuff? I gotta say it's pretty awesome. Um, I've been to two shows, and uh, they're both great. I mean, I went to the very very first show they did where Axel was like in the chair because he. Uh, broken his foot and we sort of found out that day that he wasn't going to be oh, yeah. performing. It was kind of a bummer but the show was still really great and then I went to another show in Pittsburgh while we were on tour um, just happened to have a day off at the same time so we went to the Heinz Field show and that was phenomenal. Cool. 
Yeah, man. That's you know so what's funny? I, I, I watched Guns N' Roses in 2012, so when it was the other Guns N' Roses and just Axel. Yes. And um, that was amazing, too. I was blown away by how good that was. It was really, really good. Where did you see that show? That show was pretty awesome. That was in, that was in, um, it was in LA. It was at the House of Blues. So, I mean, okay. it was a tiny oh, little wow. club, and it was, uh, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's funny. No, my friend saw um, saw them play at the ACC. I want to say like oh, yeah. around that time too, which is crazy. They were doing House of Blues and then doing Air Canada Center, like you know the basketball arena in Toronto. That's that's like crazy. It was like the same tour or whatever. But he said that he, everyone was waiting, you know, for Axel, which is like the classic. You know, yeah. Axel doesn't go on on time, and um, he got so drunk that he like basically doesn't remember the show. Because he was oh, actually yeah. <laughs> gone. So, I don't know, man. Uh, but I, I have heard good things about it, and I want to check it out. But do you think it's um, a little weird that they don't have Izzy in the band? Him being such a vital songwriter? Oh, that doesn't those... surprise me, though. Um, just... No, it doesn't surprise me. But but how do you feel about it as a fan, as a big fan? Uh, it, it depends. Because, I mean, he was, he was not there for so much of it on stage. Now, if they were going to make a record, I mean, I don't know what a record would sound like these right. days, but I mean, I don't know, like, I don't know what those records would have been like without Izzy. I mean, they probably wouldn't be, I mean, he would had such a big part of it from what we know of anyway. Um, so for him to not be on stage for me is not that big of a thing. I was a little bit more bummed out that they didn't have Matt Sorum playing drums. Yeah, that's, that's fair. For sure. You know, um, that to me was surprising. Izzy didn't surprise me because he's been so not there. Um, yeah, no. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, their drummer's fine, but that's the problem I find with him is that he's he's good. But it's like, I don't know, Sorum is a special drummer, I feel. Yeah, man. I just picture, I just like, whenever I think of Matt Sorum, I, again, I think of the November Rain video and just the like, that same His drum hair. feel like over and over <laughs> again. Dun, 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 dun. You yeah. Know, like, it's just funny when he's wearing gloves and shit. Uh, yeah, it's the best. Yeah, it's yeah. Best. Totally. We actually played this. We actually played this uh, kind of bunk festival in uh, Burlington, Ontario. Uh-huh. Uh And the Cult played. The Cult oh, headlined, yeah. and Matt Sorum was just like hanging out. Oh yeah. And I was like, I was like way too scared to talk to him. But he's yeah. like that. Yeah, he's the nicest guy. He's, he's oh, really is cool he? Guy. Oh yeah. He's super yeah, sweet. yeah. That's the thing, man. Like with with all these people, like. You know, you're you're in a pretty big band. You know, you're living in Los Angeles. You must know people. Do you, have you, like, met any of these guys in Guns N' Roses? Like, have you met Slash or Axel or these guys? Uh, yeah, I met all of them, actually. Um, Are they they're all sick? Or what's what's the story there? Any funny stories? <laughs> uh, well, okay, Slash, not really any funny stories. I've met him a few times. Very basic, very just like, hello, mm-hmm. how's it going? Um, nothing really. I wouldn't say no. I'm... Uh, Matt and Duff um, see quite a bit more. I mean, not Duff as much, but I've seen Matt over the years quite a bit. Um, but they're both yeah. really great guys. They're they're really cool guys you can you know have a conversation with and hang out with, and uh, they're really cool. Axel, I met at that show uh, at House of Blues. Um, <laughs> I was hanging out. It was like the show was just sort of coming to an end, and I was about to leave, and somebody from security came up to me and said. Uh, Hey, you know, um, Axel's having a little party backstage. Uh, you know, you're invited. And I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool. So I went back and I was just kind of hanging out. It was a little awkward or strange. It was just like a few people, mostly some like really, really rock chicks um, hanging right. out. And uh, it was a pretty small room. I was just kind of hanging out. And then Axel came in and he was in a robe. And uh, <laughs> he was... He screamed at somebody for not having the music loud enough. Uh, but the, the person he was screaming at was like some old, some older lady. So I don't really know what she does for Axel. Maybe his assistant. But um, she's really? kind of like a grandmother type older woman. <laughs> and then uh, I was just kind of hanging out, having a drink. And then he walked by me. And then he kind of like did a double take. And he comes over to me and goes, I know you. <laughs> and I was like, uh, you know, great show tonight. And he just said thanks and kind of walked off, and then that was about it. Does it does it feel weird when somebody like you know like recognizes you and they're like, it's like you're recognizing me like fucking <laughs> Axel? Like is that weird for you? Like 
I well, I could definitely say I wasn't expecting Axel to come up and say I know right. you. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it was a little strange. Yeah, that's that's funny, man. No, I I feel like we're all like no matter you know what you've done and where you've been, I feel like you're still that kid from Ajax. You know what I mean? I think that that is never going to go away. I definitely still feel like I'm a kid <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I worry I about just, it, I, but uh, yeah, I'm putting lots of words in your mouth. It's it's great. <laughs> So you're back, uh, you're back, you're like this, the Don't Call It A Sumback Tour or whatever you, you, you called it. Uh, how was that tour? How was it playing again with so just so much like hype and success like surrounding that? Like how did that feel coming back from, with that? Um, to be honest, I don't really, I, I, I never really feel like there's like hype or success because I guess I don't really... I don't even really know about it. I don't really pay attention to it. I only hear about it like when somebody, like like how you just said it. <laughs> like I, Really? I just, okay, yeah. We just go out and tour. I don't know. Um, I don't really pay attention to a lot of stuff, and I, I never really know if people think it's a success or not. I just kind of go out there and do the best that I can, and we all do the same thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, we're still really at the beginning. I mean, the record what, came out in October, so yeah. we're still, we still got a lot of touring. I mean, we're about to hit Canada. Um, we're just getting ready for going out on next week. We're going to be in Canada. Um, got four shows with Papa Roach, which is going to be cool. Um, and then we are, I mean, we're touring all the way. We'll be on the road still next year this time. So there's no sign of slowing down for at least a year. Is that, is there any uh, fear there? Like, I mean, you say you're home and you haven't been home for a while and it feels so great. Um, is there any fear now of like going back on the road and you know the, the inevitable boredom that comes of you know waiting for for the night to pass sober and stuff? Is there any fear that you're going to fall into some of your old ways or or are you feeling pretty confident? I have no fear, but that doesn't mean that it, it could never happen. Um, I don't yeah. ever think about it to be honest. It's just never been on my mind. I sort of forget that I drank or forget that I'm sober. It's not really. Not really sort of like the normal take it day by day kind of counting the days. Like, you know, I just don't right. really. In fact, like now that we just brought it up, I just realized like I had no idea. I guess like my three year is coming up this month. I didn't even realize nice. just now. Like, I don't, I really don't pay attention to it until somebody else brings it up. Um, and it's just not really an issue. The, that doesn't mean that it will never happen. It just means it's just not on, on my mind ever. Um, so no, it, it doesn't, I don't have any fear. Uh, I just really enjoy what I'm doing. So as long as I'm enjoying, I mean, the thing is when I was drinking, I really enjoyed it. It was a choice. Um, and it got to a point where it wasn't fun anymore. And when I think about drinking, I don't immediately go to the good thoughts of, oh man, that was so fun. Um, yeah. I, I just remember it's like, there are so many great times that I just, I don't need to try to beat them or relive them. And then the other side of it is the bad stuff that I still do remember that I'm like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to go back to that again. And that's probably where it would end up. So, you know, I guess those kind of things keep me away from it subconsciously. Totally. No, totally. I mean, the whole reason why I quit when I, when I finally made the decision to just quit drinking, I had this realization one day, saying to myself, am I really ever going to have, like, the craziest time of my life again? Like, I've, I've spent so many years having the, that was the craziest time of my life. Do I need more of those? I mean, <laughs> I've had, you know, 500 of the most insane nights I could ever imagine. So I, once I realized that, I was like, I don't really need to <laughs> try to top that anymore. Where it used to be like, oh, my God, I, let's try to beat that crazy story or something, you know. Uh, right when you're younger and now I just don't have that. Well, you got to tell me a story now. If you have 500 crazy nights, can you pick one? <laughs> well, I think I'm trying to save them all for a book right now. Um, are, oh yeah. Are, actually? No, I don't know. Uh, no. I mean, who knows eventually one day probably, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, people write, but I mean, I've read a lot of those rock, you know, whatever autobiographies and some of them are great. Some of them are really gnarly. You wonder how much of it's really true in some ways, but also it's just like putting that out there. That's that's the choice, and that's what you have to live with once you put that out there. Is that is that? Yeah, yeah. I mind? mean, I like you know. I I just read the Ozzy Osbourne book, and um, 
it was great. It was really, really good. Is it good. newer? <laughs> is it a new one that? or is it? Is it newer? It's like newish. I mean, it came out. I don't know. It's it's post Osborne's TV show, but probably right around then. Oh, okay. So like okay. mid two thousands, um, and that seemed like an age appropriate time to put out a book. Um, right. For me, anyway, and it just it kind of covered so much, and it was just really well done. It was a really easy read, but it, it was really cool. So when I read stuff like that, I'm like, yeah, maybe one day you could do something like that if there's any interest. You know, thirty years from now. <laughs> But, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, did you read the No Effects book? I, I've started it. Um, I'm sort of in the middle of it right now. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Which, I mean, I knew they were writing one, and I knew it was going to be that. Um, but, uh, right. yeah. I mean, I like all those kind of books. I, I, I do read quite a lot of those. Um, that definitely yeah. helps pass a lot of time on tour. Yeah, definitely. Is it true that um, Fat Mike tried to sign you guys uh, to Fat Records at some point? Is that true? No. No, what happened with no. that is we... Well, I mean, I, don't, I can't say he didn't want us or not. All I know is when we were in that trying to go around to labels in Canada, we approached somebody who was like the affiliate of Fat Records in Canada, and they had turned us down. Oh, um, right. So, I mean, did it ever get to Fat Mike? I have no idea. I mean, I've, I told him that story um, later on, and uh, he said, yeah, well, I wouldn't have signed you. And I was like, well, well, a little offended. But he was like, no, it's because... That sounds like something Mike would say, though. Yeah, Absolutely. and he goes, no, because we wouldn't have known what to do with you guys, because you guys were going to be a radio band and an MTV band, and that just wasn't our world. Like, yeah. So, you know, then it made sort of sense. He's like, you guys had to be on a major. It's like, it wouldn't have worked on Fat Right. No, I, I remember this, like, actually being later on. Like, I want to say after Does This Look Infected. Like, after that record came out, um, I talked to Mike, and he, like, like he loves you guys. I was going to uh, say, maybe, yeah, that sort of sounds familiar, like, later on, but in those early yeah. days. Yeah, and I, and I just wondered if that was ever a thing, because that would have been, I don't know, that would have been kind of funny, but, I mean, it, it probably wouldn't have made sense. I just wondered if that was ever a conversation, which is why we brought up No Effects for, like, the sixth time in this interview. <laughs> yeah. But no, man, it's great. Hey, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Just, it's really great to see you doing so well again. Um, now, I just want to ask to, to wrap this up. Like, you know, now that you're back, you're sober. There's obviously people that you've wronged that have wronged you. Mm -hmm. um, you seem like a very, I don't know. You seem like a very uplifting guy. Um, is it? Was there apologies you had to make to people, or was it? Were there people that you had? You kind of just had to be like, you know what? Fuck you. Like. I'm moving on. Like, like, how did that all shake out? There's definitely more of the fuck you, I'm moving on, less the apology. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. um, no, I mean, the biggest thing for me uh, was, I mean, the, 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 I was hurting myself more than anybody. It, wasn't, it, was, pretty, it was a pretty solo gig for me. Um, I wasn't really <laughs> the angry drunk. I didn't, Have you seen Derek's <laughs> solo stuff? It's, uh, it's real fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it was. It was all just sort of like self-destructive. Um, but yeah. even like I said, like I've always been a happy guy. So when I was drunk, I was a happy drunk. I wasn't really the. Uh, I didn't like fight people or, you know, get angry with people or do anything really like that. Um, I didn't drink and drive. I never. I don't have a lot of those kind of things that you know I've heard stories of in AA right. when I was going through all that in the beginning and and rehab and stuff like that. Um, so it wasn't necessarily, uh, I had a lot of people to apologize to, but I did have people who, who were really close to me who, when I was in that time of sort of a little too drunk, uh, people would take advantage of me. And, um, when I got to the point where I wasn't that much fun to go out with anymore, well, I didn't go out anymore. I just preferred to stay home and drink and not really go to parties or be the party guy. Uh, a lot of my yeah. friends who were really close to me just kind of bailed on me and were like, well, he's not fun anymore because he doesn't want to go out. He doesn't want to do anything. He's not paying for us all to do stuff anymore. <laughs> he just wants to drink mm -hmm. at home, and we don't want to go hang out with him. So they all kind of bailed on me, um, which right. is normal. That happens. But these people were people that I grew up with, and people. One of, some of them were my family. I, you know, It was just people that were really close to me that kind of all of a sudden appeared. It came to light that the closest people to me were the people who were hanging on you know, the, the hangers on, it was, I yeah. sort of lived this somewhat of like an entourage lifestyle my whole career where I brought up everybody with me 
from my childhood. And then when things got a little tough for me, they just kind of split. So when I got sober, those are the people that you're all fucking dead to me. And I haven't spoken to them since. Wow. Yeah. Well, hey, man, you got to do that sometimes. You got to cut that negativity out of your life. I mean, that's every step of the way. You really have to. And, and uh, Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel so much better for it, too. I mean, like, yeah. I, I I, I'm not really somebody who looks back, either. It's like, once you're dead to me, you're dead to me. I don't, it's, it's over. Yeah. Well, wow. Well, thanks for taking the time. Oh, shit. One last Slash story. So sure. I met Slash. Well, I didn't really meet Slash. I'll tell you the story. We were in Australia. <laughs> Actually, I think uh-huh. you were there, too. It was the Soundwave. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. Slash was playing uh, solo. Okay, so I was yeah, in, yeah. I was in like the catering line, you know, holding like a tray. Uh-huh. And so I'm a vegetarian, so I ask for the vegetarian option that they have like behind. So we get, so they get it for me, and all I hear is, "Damn, that looks good." And I turn <laughs> around, and it's Slash. And my reaction was, this was my reaction. Uh, uh. <laughs> I couldn't speak. I was so like he was just there, and I was like, ah, ah, it was so embarrassing. <laughs> and uh, that's the time I almost met Slash. Well, yeah, that's that's cool. I mean, too bad you didn't say anything, but I can understand how you felt. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I I saw Trent Reznor too on that tour. I think oh, it was yeah. the same year, and uh, almost the same thing happened. I like was like, ah, I got to say something. No, nope, I'm just nope. Bye. You know, yeah. and now all I do now all I do is talk to people. So you know, go figure. Yeah, see, I st- I can't do that. I'm I'm too shy of a person. I, I I'll talk to anybody who sort of strikes up a conversation with me, but I'm really bad yeah. at going up to people. And, me too. And, and me I know too, people think that I'm a dick sometimes because I don't go up, but I I'm just uh, the, I'm just so shy. Yeah. Well, hey man, I don't want to take up too much more of your morning. Uh, have a great day. All the best cool. with uh, everything you got coming up, and um, congrats, man. Cool. Thank you very much. All right. Take care, Derek. All right. See you later. Yeah, man. See you. So there it is with Derek. Very honest conversation. We did talk about Guns N' Roses a lot, which is amazing. But I tell you, man, I love that we agreed on that slash not plugging in the patch cord thing and how that's, and how that's affected our musical careers in terms of making music videos. That was definitely my favorite part of the conversation. Next week, we will be back with another great episode. Please make sure you're subscribed. If you like the show, if you like the episode today, please give us a review on iTunes. Say some nice things or at least just give us five stars. It really does go a long way in helping this thing grow. Also, if you want more than just one episode a week, this podcast will always be free. But if you want more, if you want Lead Singer Syndrome merchandise, you can only get that by being a member of the All Access Club. Now, I know I talk about it every week, so I'm not even going to talk about it this week. I just want to plug the link. So if you're interested in helping our show grow, helping us keep the lights on again, please check out the All Access Club. The link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash allaccess. For as little as $6 a month, you get access to a bunch of bonus stuff, and also you get to help us out with this thing. I guess I did talk about it after all. Hey, whatever. As always, we will leave you with some music. Now, this is a difficult choice for me. I'm a huge fan of so many different Sum 41 songs. And you know what? I'm going to play two of them. Uh, The first one I'm going to play is an obvious hit. You guys probably all know it, but it's a great song to jam out to. I remember when it first came out before, you know, when they first launched the single on the radio, the radio station Toronto played this song. And then they came on and they said, that was so good. We're going to play it again. And they played it twice in a row. And then after the second time they played it, they said, you know what? We're going to play it again. And they played it three times in a row. So I'm going to play that song first. And after that, I'm going to play my all-time favorite Sum 41 song just because it has the most ripping ending ever. So here's two Sum 41 songs, Still Waiting, followed by Mr. Amsterdam. Thanks a lot. I hope you have a great Monday, a great week, and we'll see you next week. Peace and love. So am I still waiting for this world to stop hating? Can't find a good reason, can't find hope to believe in. Just like
Try